Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. What we want is never enough. There's no finite dream that can ever be big enough if realized that that it will be able to occupy the infinite soul of a human being created in the image of God as the crown of creation. There's nothing lower than you, which is essentially everything in creation, that will be able to occupy the grandeur of your magnificent soul. Hi, and welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and each week on Q Ideas, we try to bring you the voices of thoughtful leaders from all over the world who care a lot about Christians better engaging our world, doing so faithfully, doing so winsomely, but also, Gabe, trying to do it with a deep understanding of the kind of context we're all trying to navigate. And this week will be no different, but really pierce the soul and the heart a bit. We're listening to Scott Sauls, who just delivered a talk called The Secret of Being Content. Now, you talk about the idea of contentment, and being content in our culture, in our world, is is something that's very challenging, because everything around us is screaming that we need more, that we don't have enough, that we need to get the things that we see in front of us that we want to achieve, or maybe it's ambition that drives our lack of contentment. But all around us, we can see a lot of people who lack contentment, and that might be you. It might be you today. You're striving for something. You're pushing to achieve something more, or there's that grass is greener idea that if I could just be there, if I could just get that job, if I could just live in this city, if I could just have that boyfriend, girlfriend, or if I could just be married, then I would be content. And Scott wants to press into that today, press into our heart, press into how our emotional and spiritual health are processing through this idea that contentment really comes from getting things versus who we are becoming. It is a great talk we'll get to in just a few minutes. But first, Gabe, Scott has been a familiar voice around Q circles. In fact, a couple of years ago, at the height of the COVID pandemic, you and the Q team hosted a special Q&A gathering featuring some long-form discussions around several issues that either arose or really were just exacerbated by the lockdowns. One of those huge issues was the emotional health crisis. And since that ties into today's talk about contentment, we thought we'd bring you a portion of one of these longer panel discussions that Scott was part of. Now, Gabe, before you mention who else was part of this panel discussion on mental health, I want to ask you why you had Scott as part of this group. He's dealt with his own bouts of depression. And as a senior leader of a church, all that goes with trying to lead a church while keeping your mental health in order. And then Kurt Thompson, the author of a great book called The Soul of Shame, who's also a psychiatrist and counsels people. And he brings that counseling wisdom into this conversation on how we can think well and better understand suicide and mental health. And then Rebecca Lines, of course, author of Rhythms of Renewal and so many books that helped really expose over the last decade the need to talk about 
our panic attacks, anxiety, depression, and our mental health in general as Christians. And so you're going to get to hear a piece of that conversation we've excerpted for you today. I hope you enjoy it. Yes, let's listen to it now on Q Ideas. As we sit here this morning, I want to focus on stepping way back and going, how are we as people of God to approach these topics of mental health concern, depression, anxiety, panic attacks? And so I'm going to introduce each of you as we go through. I'm going to each ask each of you a first question. But Kurt Thompson, who's a psychiatrist, somebody who really understands the neuroscience behind how we think, how our brain is wired, how it works. I think that's important for us as leaders to understand what's happening on the neuro side. Um, he's also written amazing books, one called The Soul of Shame that had, has had quite an impact on so many leaders where you've really unpacked how shame starts to work and why that becomes such an important item that we have to talk about. We can't park that in the dark. Mm-hmm. As a Kurt, I just want to start with you with, with this question. Um, as you think about leaders right now joining us, church leaders, pastors, uh, the people who are with us in this room, uh, who've been through a pretty difficult year uh, where our mental health has been more challenged. It was already challenged, and now it's increasingly been challenged. Um, as you think about leaders who come into a space like this today, and they're already feeling down. They're already walking in, maybe depressed. Maybe in a place where they're like, I, I can't lead anybody right now. My, I'm not in a good place. Um, how would you offer hope even as we enter into this conversation about what, what you've seen God do in leaders' lives when they walk into a place like this and go, okay, I'm going to be open. I want to try to better understand what's happening in my brain, what's happening in my body as we begin this conversation. Well, thanks, Gabe. I, I think um, one of the things that we, we talk about in neuroscience is that you know science gives us ideas about the mechanics of what we do, but it doesn't really give us the meaning behind the mechanics. It doesn't really tell us why or what the purpose of these mechanics are. And one of the first things that I do uh, is to invite people to really go back to um, the foundational texts. So what does it mean for us to be human? For us to be human, in, at the end of the second chapter of Genesis, we see that the man and the woman were naked and they were unashamed. That for us to uh, be human is to be deeply known for the purpose of creating beauty. That's, that's, like, that's, that's our purpose. And so we do that by being differentiated from others and those differentiated parts coming together in places of great vulnerability and the absence of shame. So differentiation, vulnerability, and in the absence of shame. And one of the things that I think that evil wields is this notion, first of all, of isolation, right? We have, and, and this isolation began long before COVID. I mean, we are, it begins in Genesis in many respects. And so for those who are here and wondering what can I do about where I am, the first question that I would have is who are the people who are coming to find you? Because we don't regulate our emotional states, we don't regulate our depression, we don't regulate our anxiety without the help of somebody else's brain. I need that. And of course we'd say, well yeah, but it feels kind of shaming for me to say, hey, I can't get my crap together. Can I, you know, can you help a brother? It's not like, I'm guessing that most people didn't walk in today looking for somebody, that's the first thing that you say. Mm. But that is actually what we need all the time. I need someone coming to find me all the time. And so I would ask that question, who are the people who are coming to find us? Because isolation, I think, is the single most important thread of all of what we're seeing that is so um, debilitating about our culture long before COVID and now with COVID that much more um, accentuated. And asking for someone to come to find us is an act of great vulnerability because it does acknowledge that I need you to help me 
But I don't just need you to help me. I need you in order for us actually to create together. I want to go beyond just not being sick. I actually want to be creative. And so then the other question becomes, who are the people that we see that we're going to help? And by, by pastors, I'm asking those, who are the pastors that others in this room are going to go find? Yeah. Pastors are going to find people all the time. The question that I would have, who are the people who are coming to find them? And we can talk more about that. Yeah. That's well, let's, let's go to Scott, because Scott, you're, you're a pastor. This has been your journey for a couple decades now. Uh, you've also authored a couple just prolific books, Jesus Outside the Lines, and most recently, A Gentle Answer, which has been so timely for this season for Christians to really understand what does it mean to have a gentle answer in a culture that's kind of built on harsh rhetoric. Um, but as a pastor, you hear Kurt talk, and, and we have so many pastors and church leaders here. It feels like the pastor's the one that many times is trying to meet the needs of everybody else and don't always have somebody that they can go to. Um, how does that feel as a pastor? When you hear Kurt say that and you process that through your own journey, I know you've walked out a depression journey where you've talked very openly and transparently about that. But how important is what Kurt just said for any leader in this room about the need for a pastor to have a person that they can go to? It's... Uh... It's very important what Kurt is saying, and it's, um, it's confounding uh, how, how you get there. Uh, we were talking you know, before we, we, we came up on stage uh, about a, uh, a teacher in, when I was in seminary, one, one, of the, one of the professors said, don't expect to have people in your church that care for you. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's just absurd. Uh, and uh, after doing this for 30 years, I, I understand it. I'm still fighting uh, against that counsel because uh, I, I believe that God has made us to, to be mutually and reciprocally found, right? But uh, over the years, you know, to the, to the point... Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard church members say, you know, nobody from the church pursued me. I disappeared and nobody else, nobody pursued me. Nobody talks to me. I've never heard a, I've never heard a single person, uh, you know, I've, I've never heard a, a pastor um, say that. And yet it's completely true about every pastor that, that oftentimes we feel lonely in our own communities. And, and I think this year, um, case in point, 2020, with, with all that 2020 has done to church life, um, you've got this dynamic where uh, reality is 70% of pastors right now around America are looking for another job. Uh, 70. That's wow, pretty, I, I had pretty staggering. 70%. Uh, yeah, I can't remember if that's Barna or Tom Rayner, but, but it, it's, it's data. Uh, 70% are looking for other work right now. And the dynamic, I've, I've tried to even explain this to church members, and then they're like, huh? And I'm like, I guess you have to be in it in order to really understand it. Our dynamic is that essentially the feeling is that 60% of our people have ghosted us for the last seven months, right? And our people feel like they're still with us because they can see us and hear us from their living rooms, right? Uh, and, and yet we, we, we just have this complete void of relationship. And I think what church people don't realize, and I don't know if this is typically an American issue or, or a global church issue, but 
Um, you know, church members, especially in a city like Nashville, where there's all this church hopping and, you know, what's the, what's the it church of the year and we're going to go to the it church of the year and then we'll go to another one next year and so on. People, people oftentimes, not everybody, but, but oftentimes people treat the church as a consumer good and, and we see the church as our family. This is our people, right? And, and so, so the dynamic of loneliness and isolation is amplified in, in a time like this because you start to feel like, gosh, um, are we really a community? Because wouldn't I be hearing from people? Uh, you know, you, you hear church members say, well, nobody pursued me. And then, you know, but a pastor can say, why isn't anybody pursuing us? Uh, why isn't anybody asking how we're doing? Uh, complaining in the church is, is way up. Um, you know, just the negativity of the environment oftentimes gets taken out on your caregivers. And that includes therapists, it includes pastors and others. And so it's, it really is the perfect emotional storm right now for pastors. And so whoever that community is, uh, whether it's your staff team or whether it's a therapist or, or yeah. you know, just a friend outside your church, even if you need that um, community and kind of fighting against isolation is utterly essential. So. This is Q Ideas, and that was a panel discussion featuring both Gabe and Rebecca Lyons, psychologist Kurt Thompson, and also Pastor Scott Sauls, talking about the mental health challenges at the height of the COVID-19 lockdowns. And really, even though that was a panel discussion from two years ago, back in 2020 at the Q&A gathering that Q hosted, as I was listening, I was struck by the fact that the mental health issues have not gone away and this discussion is still so important. So if you're a Q Media subscriber, you can go back and listen to all the conversations from the Q&A gathering, again, on the Q Media platform. But if you're not a subscriber yet, I urge you, request your free 30-day trial at qideas.org. As we continue in this week's Q Ideas, Gabe, let's get to our feature talk from Pastor Scott Sauls talking about the secret of being content. And Gabe, after what we've just heard, having a heart of contentment as we'll hear, is important to our emotional and spiritual health. But having such a heart is not easy. And so it'll be challenging, but it'll also be, I think, something that helps you process maybe some of those emotions that at this point, maybe you've not had a chance to think through it in this way. And he references Tim Keller. The cool thing about Scott Sauls and his story is he spent a lot of time in New York City. In fact, he helped as part of a leading teaching pastor at one of Redeemer Presbyterian Church's uh, locations in the Upper West Side of New York City under Tim Keller. And he got to know Tim very well. Tim was really a mentor to him before Scott left to come to Nashville to be the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church, at which point over nine years ago, as a pastor, he began to start to share his own stories, his messages, begin to write his own books. His most recent book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, is an inspiration for what he's talking about today. And as you listen in, he'll even recall, why do we love Tim Keller? What is it about someone like Tim who's lived a good life, who's been respectable, who's stayed married, who's been faithful? What does it look like for someone like Tim to be a leader at that level, but also have a deep contentment in his heart? Yeah, let's listen to Scott's talk from this past Springs Culture Summit now on Q Ideas. The Apostle Paul famously wrote, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. 
what's notable about what Paul writes there is that contentment is not a natural thing. He says it's a secret that has to somehow be learned. The other thing that he's clear about is that contentment is also not circumstantial. It, 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 it's really meant to be immune from circumstance. And interestingly, he says, I've learned the secret of how to face living in want and also, curiously, how to face living in plenty. There are a couple of insights there that I'd like to share with you. First, it's possible to have every success imaginable and lack contentment. We learn that from a young, powerful man and an old, powerful man in the Bible, the rich young ruler. The question that he comes to Jesus with is, what do I still lack? I have everything, including moral virtue, including faith, lots of money, lots of power. What do I still lack? And then we get the man in Ecclesiastes, who uh, would be the ancient version of a man who has crushed it. Sex, money, power, all kinds of success. He doesn't just have a pool. He has many pools. He doesn't just have a garden. He has multiple gardens. He's crushed it. And the way that he describes all of the things that he has achieved, he says it's like holding a ball of smoke in your hand. He says it's all vanity. The literal word from the Hebrew is it's all vapor. It's like trying to contain a ball of smoke in your hand. There's just no way to do it. Eventually, it's going to all evaporate. And both of these men from the Bible are tapping into something that the playwright, Tennessee Williams, later called the catastrophe of success. Thomas Merton put it this way. So many people live their entire lives climbing the ladder of success only to realize that at the very end, the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall. It's the tragedy of getting what you always wanted and then discovering it's not what you want. What we want is never enough. There's no finite dream that can ever be big enough if realized that, we'll, that it will be able to occupy the infinite soul of a human being created in the image of God as the crown of creation. There's nothing lower than you, which is essentially everything in creation, that will be able to occupy the grandeur of your magnificent soul. So the British atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell saw this as well, but he spoke especially to those who might regard themselves as influencers or want to be influencers. He says, beware, because influencers are not immune. Even after they've reached the top, they're not immune from a lust for more. And he says this, if you desire glory, you may envy Napoleon, but Napoleon envied Caesar. And Caesar envied Alexander. And Alexander envied Hercules, who never existed. It's a goose chase. This chase for significance, this chase for identity, this chase to justify our own existence through success, through crushing it, through making a name for ourselves, through being an influencer. Nothing wrong with being an influencer. There's a lot wrong with hanging your hat on that. It's no wonder that Paul also said that living in plenty is something we have to learn to face because it never delivers 
on what it promises. It never does. But the second thing is it's also possible, and here's the good news, it's possible to be in a ditch and have the greatest contentment that you've ever had in your life in the ditch. You know, Paul's location, interestingly, when he writes Philippians, which is widely and globally known as the epistle of joy, his writing location is prison. And he's been unjustly incarcerated for three things, loving God, loving his neighbor, and preaching Jesus. And the remarkable thing about Paul Writing from prison is that there's not a shred of despair, not a shred of victimhood, not a shred of cynicism or grumbling that can be found in him. The closest to home example of this in my world is Tim Keller. Tim has been a friend and a mentor to me for over 15 years now, and he's a very dear person to me. He's the only pastor that I'm aware of that has ever made it onto Forbes' top 50 most influential people in the world list. And he cares nothing about that. Nothing at all. Tim was an influencer before influencers were a thing. He cares nothing about being an influencer. He cares nothing about having a brand. What he does care about is maintaining the kind of condition in his soul where he can continually be shy about himself and boastful about Jesus. That's always been his life mission. Now, some of you may have read his interview with Tish Warren in the New York Times recently. And the question, now that he's facing living in want, he's facing an incurable form of cancer, pancreatic cancer, and one of the questions was, what are, what are your goals now as you look at your last lap or two of life? And he says, first, to focus, because I realize more now than ever that time is short. Second, to know the Lord, because I need to be prepared for that day when it comes. Third, I want to improve my marriage. He's in his mid-70s, wanting to still improve his marriage. Fourth, to spend as much time as my kids and grandkids as I can. Fifth, I want to continue to write, to leave, and I love this phrase, such a lovely phrase, to leave messages in, the bo- in a bottle for the future church. And then finally, I want to encourage people. I want to be an encourager. And every conversation I have been in with Tim in the last handful of months, the question has always come up, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And even with a chemo drip in his arm, he'll say, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. What's the secret there? Proper formation. And it's through the boring stuff, you guys. It's not through the spectacular, miraculous, worship on a hill stuff, seeing the, you know, the second heaven as the Apostle Paul did. It's through the boring, ordinary, forgettable stuff. That's how formation happens. Our worship director, Nathan Tasker, once asked me, Scott, how many meals in your 50-plus year life do you remember? And I said, maybe 10. He said, if those are the only 10 meals that you look to sustain your entire life, where would you be now? I would be planted in the ground. It's It's the meals I don't even remember that have kept me alive and vibrant and really the boring ones, the healthy ones that, 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 that have kept me going. It is the same with character. It is the same with this secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ, Paul says. That's the secret. 
who gives me strength. How do you get Christ? He also writes about that in Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work on your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. That's already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. The burden is lifted off. But work it out in the same way you work the muscles that you already have in your possession out at the gym. Work it out so it will be strong for those times when you need it most. For Tim Keller, that's meant for over 60 years, over 60 years every day praying through five of the Psalms, through the Psalms once every month, reading through the entire Bible at least once every year, having a robust life of prayer every single day and being very humble, even with unfair criticism. This is a guy who, with unfair criticism, says, I even want to look for a kernel of truth in an unfair criticism, lest there might be something to repent of and use it to draw close to Jesus through it. That's how formation happens. Some of you are very gifted. God have mercy on you. God have mercy on you in this, lest you plant your life's ladder against the wrong wall. And on the flip side of this, I pray also that God would grant you the grace to learn the secret of contentment so that you will be able to face hardships when they come your way and so that you will be able to face success when it comes your way. Oh, what a great talk there on The Secret of Being Content by Nashville pastor Scott Sauls, author of many books, including his latest, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. We hope that the talk stirred you, made you process in your own world. Are you content? What are the things that ought to make you content? I loved his quote. He said, contentment is not a natural thing. It's a secret that has to be somehow learned. Contentment is not circumstantial. It's supposed to be immune from circumstance. I think about that with the word joy, that it's immune from circumstance. We're all going to be faced with trials, tribulation, circumstances, unfortunate things that happen in our life. But our response of contentment and joy is something that actually keeps us rooted and grounded. And so I hope today, wherever you're at, whatever you might be walking through, that this has just been an encouragement to you, that the secret to being content is something that you can find and that you can experience. I hope you have a wonderful week. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.